Welcome back to episode 21 of the Service Design Podcast. This is the second episode in a series in which we speak to the winners of the Service Design Awards. Today, we'll be talking to Ella Walding, who won the Service Design Student Award for her graduation projects at RCA London. Together with the government of Malta, she developed a set of service design tools aimed to create change in the organization. In the meantime, Ella started working at Innovation Unit in the UK. And don't forget... You can also have a chance to win a service design award. Submissions will be opening up soon. Enjoy the episode. So we're speaking to Ella Walding. Um, hi, Ella. Hello. Hi, and we're speaking to you because uh, you were one of the winners of the uh, Service Design Awards in uh, in Madrid at the end of last year. Um, so congratulations on that. Uh, we're going to ask <laughs> Thank you. All, we're going to ask you all about uh, your project. But before we get into that, could you please uh, introduce yourself to uh, our listeners? Yes, sure. Um, so my name is Ella Walding and I'm a service designer at the Innovation Unit in the UK. I'm not sure if you've heard of us. No, could you please uh, elaborate? Yes, sure. Um, so we are a not-for-profit. Um, we do a lot of work across the public and the social sector to find new and innovative solutions to complex social challenges. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What kind of uh, challenges did you already uh, tackle? <laughs> well, I can give you an idea of some of the projects I'm working on at the moment. So I've just finished a, a project that's been looking at how to improve end-of-life care, um, and that involved designing a new service for people who are caring for somebody at the end of their life. Also currently working to redesign children's services in Wigan, um, implementing a new model there called No Wrong Door that creates a, a wraparound service for young people. Um, and I've just started a new project for the Learning and Work Institute in partnership with um, the Department of Work and Pensions to design a service for people receiving employment support allowance to uh, look at how they can not only be helped to find employment, but also at how to improve their health and their well-being. Okay, that all sounds really interesting. But of course, we would like to know a little bit more about the project that you won the award for. Uh, yes. Could you also <laughs> introduce us a little bit to uh, what you did there? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, the award was uh, completed as part of my MA in service design uh, at the Royal College of Art. Um, and the project was for the government of Malta to help them with a new initiative that they created called service.gov, um, which basically aims to provide citizens with a single point of contact for all public services. Um, so the idea behind service.gov is that rather than a citizen having to travel to multiple places, they can access all public services through one place. So um, it can be accessed through physical hubs, uh, a call centre, an app and a website. Um, And the aim of the project was to improve the process of integrating service.gov across 250 um, government departments. Um, 
So um, in order to do this, I undertook research to see how it could be improved. And the research showed that although many customers were really satisfied with the service and staff really believed in it, some staff and customers still had a negative experience because the customer journey could be quite um, disjointed. And it was almost as if they were separately just trying to add additional functionality onto existing departments rather than collectively thinking about how they could work together to make this a seamless experience for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we held workshops with staff across government to present back the findings um, and explore what could be done differently. Um, and three long-term solutions were created. Um, so the, the first of these was a clear strategy um, for the future of ServiceGov to steer the amount and the pace of future integration. Um, The second solution was a balanced scorecard of performance measures to ensure a richer way of measuring progression towards the overall vision. Um, So we actually created a new performance framework to to balance out the different elements of the service and to help staff understand the journey towards excellence. Um, And finally, we created a a, a toolkit, which is the new method of creating any change in the service.gov process. Um, The idea is that any staff member has the power to suggest a change at any time Um, and then this toolkit could be used to identify um, a process for implementing change using both service design um, and project management tools. Um, So yeah, we we ran a a pilot to test the toolkit in practice with the housing department and it's now gone on to be used with several other departments um, and the other solutions as well have been fully accepted um, and implemented. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious about this uh, performance framework. Could you tell a little bit more about, yeah, how does that work? What does it consist of? Yeah, um, so we basically created uh, a steering wheel um, to balance out the different elements of the service. um, And then each segment of that wheel can be broken down into exactly what's being measured, uh, the source of the data, uh, the overall target um, and a mission statement. Um, And then we also combine that with a maturity model to help staff um, understand the journey that need to be taken. Um, And what's quite exciting about it is that it's it's leading the service gov team to do things that they've they've never done before so for example self-assessments um, a staff survey staff and customer interviews um, and even a monthly newsletter okay you said you uh, helped the service uh, gov team with that but who are these people who are the people who are in the service gov team? Um, so they have uh, like a service.gov head office uh, that's actually based in the government of Malta um, and they report directly to uh, the permanent secretary for strategy and implementation. Um, so they're the sort of team that oversee the whole service. Um, and then you have the sort of frontline staff who work um, in the various different hubs, the one-stop shops that uh, work directly with the customers. Um, and then they have a, a call center as well that they they outsource. Um. Are there any designers in this team or is it more like uh, people who are who have been working there for a really long time and who now decided to shift uh, towards this focus. 
Yeah, so no no designers. Um, it was actually the, the first time that the government of Malta has, has ever been introduced to service design. Um, and so it was quite a novel experience um, learning about design and then working in a new way for the first time. Um, so, yes, it, the service only was put into place two years ago. So it was a combination of people who'd worked in government before and then new employees from various different backgrounds. Um, but, yeah, design was a was a, a new a new uh, thing in the picture. <laughs> how, how did you get to uh, work with the um, uh, government in Malta in the first place? <laughs> yes, a good question. Um, so I contacted them. Um, I was quite keen to do, um, a, a, you know, a project that may change at scale. Um, and my parents actually live in Malta for half the year. Uh, so I knew I could stay with them. And it just seemed like a nice idea to do a project somewhere sunny and get away from the grey skies of England. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> nice. You also talked about a toolkit that you made for the staff members so everyone can suggest uh, a change that, that they would like to uh, make but how does that work in practice what can they do if they have a good idea yeah it, okay so really good question um so yeah so the idea is that whoever you are as a staff member um you can just request a change and it gives people permission to say that something isn't working um and then that would go through to the service.gov head office and then they would use this toolkit to evaluate um and implement those changes so it almost takes people through um a sort of double diamond type model um to, to create a change. So to give you some examples of some of the tools, um, some are critical, like meeting to identify a problem, um, analyzing risks, or planning and evaluating solutions, whereas others are optional, like discovery and develop interviews and workshops, prototyping and piloting of solutions, or activities for really embedding change in the organization. So ultimately, it's up to those using it to decide exactly which tools to use. Um, but the idea is that, you know, service.gov head office would work with the relevant department and then they would undertake this process together. And, and are these tools that can be used without any training or do you provide a, like a, an introduction to the toolkit first? Yes. So um, I worked with the service.gov head office to get them used to all of these tools. And then the training was then going out and using them in practice um, with it as part of the pilot uh, with the housing department. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they've been made in such a way that you don't need to be uh, an expert uh, to use them, I suppose. And I think sometimes in service design, we're quite precious <laughs> about our tools. Um, and actually, you know, I really see the value in in helping organizations to use them themselves uh, and feel comfortable with the process. So this was actually, was it your graduation project or was it? Yes, yes, it was my, my final project. Yeah, you did it all by yourself then, I suppose, uh, as a student. But who did you collaborate with in the uh, in the government? Who did you work together with? Um, so my client was the the permanent secretary of strategy and implementation, um, who the service.gov head office report to. Um, but I worked very closely with the service.gov head office. Um, 
including you know the person who heads up that that team um and yeah i work really closely with him and his team uh, which is why the project was successful um yeah it was it was wonderful to collaborate with them um and to go through the process together rather than taking things away doing it and coming back what do you think is uh, the biggest change that your uh, project project made hmm. um it's a good question um i think i think really it was a change in culture um the culture before was perhaps quite top down um and the the project tried to design new solutions that brought teams together and introduced more opportunities for feedback um and for communication uh, to build relationships across departments and between staff and customers um and i think that's gone on to have a really big impact and change behavior as you said there's this uh, performance framework are there any measurements uh, already where you can see um yeah the impact that some changes have had yeah um good question um i i haven't seen um any metrics so i can't give you an answer mm -hmm. on that but that that is the way of uh, a more tangible way of measuring impact um but yes i, I sadly have no statistics mm -hmm. for you um, you have a experience uh, as a citizen in in Britain, of course. Um, what what would you mm -hmm. say are, are differences uh, between the government there and in Malta, or is it kind of the same? It's it's quite. I think it's quite different. Um, Malta is very interesting because it's it's an incredibly small country, um, and they have this absolutely incredible sense of community um, and everybody knows each other um, so things work a little differently um, and it's very much based on relationships um, and who you know um, however saying that um, the the Maltese uh, government model was based on uh, the UK government um, and despite being so small they still have 250 departments and over a thousand services so <laughs> yeah. it was still perhaps just as hard to create change there as it is <laughs> working in england yeah. well, i can imagine the scale does make a difference in in getting things implemented <laughs> it's a smaller scale that you need yes. to change at least um. yeah <laughs> true <laughs> so if you think about the process you went through for this project is there something that you would have done differently, something that you didn't expect that it would uh, turn out like that and that you thought uh, later I should have done it uh, in a different way? Mm, yes. So um, I think it comes back to this, probably that culture point um, I made before, uh, because that, that really was the biggest challenge was to try um, and change the culture. So maybe I might just expand a little to give you some some context. Um, so the, the old culture was very much this sort of, you know, classic government culture of uh, top down. There are processes and procedures um, that people need to follow efficiently, etc. cetera. Um, and the, the desired culture was very much one of, uh, you know, more collaborative where you see staff as people with ideas and agency and everything else um, and I think um, I think a really good metaphor for this is um, from Professor 
uh, Jake Chapman, who gives a metaphor, uh, which I think is pretty apt. So he describes making change in a complex system to be the difference of throwing a stone um, and throwing a live bird. Um, so he says the trajectory of a stone can be calculated very precisely, losing the laws of mechanics, uh, but the trajectory of a bird cannot be calculated in the same way because the bird has agency, so you can't predict where it will fly. Um, so the temptation of an organisation is to clip the bird's wings, tie it to a rock, and then throw it, and then the bird will probably land where you want it to, but its capabilities have been completely destroyed. Um, so this this really was what was happening there. Uh, so to give you an example, um, customers had asked for a really timely service. And of course, the response was introduced targets to get people's cases dealt with within a certain amount of time. Um, now, some departments weren't able to meet these time limits. Um, and if you look at this from a process perspective, you might be inclined to increase the targets and make them stricter and send email reminders uh, to say that the targets were, were due soon. Um, and this is exactly what they did. Um, but if you look at it from a systems perspective and a person's perspective, you would find one person sitting at the other end of the computer that gets 200 plus emails a day that she has to answer. Um, and she even has to answer them when she goes on leave or she can't cope when she comes back. Um, and, and so this was the task to, to try and change this culture. Um, and of course, we changed this specific situation, uh, but that wasn't really um changing the belief and the ways of working that were, you know, underpinning it. Um, so, so how do you do that? Um, and I, I, ex so I explain this theory um, in various presentations to different levels of top management and perhaps naively assumed that this might be um, a breakthrough moment um, and even ask a very influential member of management to introduce a workshop and say that the culture would be different. Uh, but of course, a presentation isn't really going to change anybody's mind. So in the end, I decided that actually changing people's behavior was too hard and instead try to design solutions that would change behavior. Um, so some of these things I was saying before, building uh, in more communication, more opportunities for feedback, thank you emails, um, etc. Um, and I suppose hopefully this this is happening slowly, but I think if I could do it differently, um, what would I do? Um, I think, I think probably I, sh I shouldn't have given up so quickly. Um, and perhaps, you know, if, if I, I could have shifted other people's minds, um, and probably should have helped the service.gov team to develop a plan for, for culture change, um, and a roadmap for the future of how things should be different. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that would have been really helpful. Uh, I think that is one of the hardest things uh, to do, changing a culture of an organization, and especially in government, you indeed uh, often see it's almost you have to turn it upside down. I saw one of your quotes um, is that there was too much push, not enough pull. Uh, yeah. turning, uh, turning that upside down really is is very hard, and it's not something you can just do with presentations and changing some individuals minds uh, it often is very helpful though if if some of the top management is all for the change um what you, you mentioned there was at least one person was 
was the, the the top level interested in in becoming more of a pool organization yes perhaps perhaps not to the extent that i would have hoped mm-hmm. they would then then that does become a big challenge uh, if you need to yes <laughs> then what yeah. do, then what do you do that's yeah. the question <laughs> you have to uh, yeah transform their minds <laughs> Yeah, of course, it's also a really long process to make those changes. And I think it's interesting that you say that um, instead of giving presentation that the culture needs to change, that you started making small, like the toolkit or, or small things that could uh, change some behavior at least or some uh, mindsets uh, at certain topics. Uh, and I think by uh, yes. introducing those kind of things uh, over time, uh, it can make a very big uh, impact in the end. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think that's the strategy I tried to go for. So even little things like, um, you know, having having a target for uh, uh how much recognition is given for example before there wasn't really any recognition in the system before mm-hmm. and then if you're you're actually building that in and then people start performing better um, and people feel more valued and then people see the impact then people are inclined to start you know mm-hmm. keep doing it um so yes hopefully over time as you say that will be the yeah case. and i think the idea of giving everyone the opportunity to suggest some improvements is a very interesting one because you often mm. see that uh, that is really um, a problem in some cultures that people think their ideas are not valued or that the system just doesn't um, mm-hmm. allow uh, those ideas to uh, to end up uh, with the people who can actually change uh, something. But I think that would be interesting for a lot of different organizations as well, not only in uh, governmental uh, institutions, but in a lot of big organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that was the aim to just try, you know, try and design in learning loops. Um, yeah. Um, I'm a bit curious about something. So I saw that you uh, studied uh, drama uh, before you got into service design. Uh, how how did you get to making this transition? How did you get into service design? Yes. Um, yes, a good question. Um, so... Yes, well, I, I never, I never really wanted to be an actress. I think I just had a particularly inspiring drama teacher at college, which is, which is how I ended up uh, being a drama student. Um, but actually, I really enjoyed it, um, and it was during that degree that I first became aware um, of discourse, um, and I found it incredibly interesting. And I really enjoyed that theatre could disturb people's convictions um but i think you know what what drama does do um or is is to expose the assumptions underlying the discourse but what it what it doesn't do is develop counter narratives that can really lead to real change um and i was looking for a practice in a profession that met this need um and then when i left i actually met somebody who was a service designer and they described their job to me um and i remember somebody telling me once you know not every job can be a 10 out of 10 if it's a 7 out of 10 or above then you need to go for it and she described this job and i thought you know what that is a 10 out of 10 so (laughs) went for it and i've never looked back (laughs) and do you still use some of the skills that you learned in your drama education uh, in your service design um, life 
Um, probably not as much as I should, um, but some things, yes. Uh, I mean, I think a big part of service design is storytelling, really. Um, and so drama just had a whole range of skills uh, in order to do that. Um, and then I think in prototyping, doing things like role play can also be really valuable. Um, so, yes, I, I am I am using the skills, but probably I, I could do more. <laughs> one thing um, I noticed when uh, at the conference, talking to people about your presentation, presentation uh, one thing people are all agreeing on is that you gave a very very solid presentation um i'm wondering perhaps some of your drama background helped in telling your story indeed uh, very clearly Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Um, although I think I have to give the, the credit to the Royal College of Art there, actually. Uh, one of the, the biggest skills they gave me was to deliver um, an excellent presentation. I had a particular tutor um, who was very uh, particular about uh, the slides you show and the order you tell them in and how you tell an excellent story. And it's really stayed with me. Um, so, yeah, I would I would put that to them. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh study that you followed at the Royal College of Art. Uh, what kind of uh, courses did you have there or what kind of skills uh, did you gain? So um, it was it was a really excellent course, actually, and I probably didn't realize uh, how excellent it was until recently when I was uh, uh, looking at a uh, a service to redesign education and there was a whole list of what education should have and I looked down this list and thought oh my gosh every one of these applies to the Royal College of Art um, and it was just it was just a very uh, a practical course from day one you were going out and delivering you know real projects for real clients um, and you had the opportunity to find your own clients and they really uh, supported you to be able to implement services and challenge you um, and the theory was there but it was completely tied in um to the practical side um so yes i i really really enjoyed it um yeah it was it was really what was your excellent. favorite course um well i probably i i did really enjoy um this this project with the government of malta that that perhaps was my favorite uh, but two other that stand out is a project i did for um a school just down the road from me who were in a very precarious situation um and supported them to to stay open um and another really interesting project uh, for the shore trust to support people uh, receiving employment support allowance um which involved uh reshifting the core vision of their organization um so yeah uh, too many to choose from <laughs> and how many students were there in your year graduating uh 30 and do you have a bit of an idea which directions uh, they all went Yes, it's a it's a complete mix. Um, somebody's working for Macmillan. Somebody's working for the Ministry of Justice. Um, uh, McKinsey. Some people have gone more down the commercial route into the private sector. Others have stayed uh, in the public sector. It was a very international course as well. So lots of people have gone back to the countries that they came from um, and spreading service design around the world. So yeah, <laughs> a, a real mix. Um, Yeah. Okay, so you won this uh, service design award. Uh, what does it mean to you? Did it change something for you? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously, it was. It's an honor um, to have your work considered as a world best case study for first class design. That's incredible. Um, and the whole 
experience of doing the project, winning the award, meeting the other designers has been really, really enjoyable. Um, but I think what's also very nice is how much it meant to the government of Malta. Um, and it's been shared very widely in their press. Um, and as I said, it's the first time they've ever done a service design project. So it's just been a really wonderful experience to share this this new way of working uh, with somewhere new. Do you think this award also helps uh, yeah, uh, the transformation uh, in the government of Malta, making it uh, making the change towards a pull government? Yes, I hope so. And hopefully it's the first of many projects as well. Um, and what was so nice is uh, my client came to the Service Design Global Conference uh, to to see the award ceremony and then heard all these fantastic presentations about <laughs> what service design is and he's now become very excited um, and, and wants to keep pursuing it. Do you still have some contact with them? Like, do you know what's happening now or which part of your projects they're really taking further and which one not? Or Yes, so we I do still have contact with them. I haven't spoken to them very recently, uh, just after the awards was the, the last time. Um, and I think the, the, the thing they're uh, enjoying the most is the, the toolkit, um, which they're using uh, across various different departments. I think they're on the fourth department that they're using it with now. Um, and it's leading to big scale changes because they found a collaborative way to, to work together that works. So, yes, it's um, it's exciting. Do you think they will uh, elaborate on that toolkit or do you uh, think they will build more of them? Or um, So um, I think that their, their next steps is that at the moment it's being championed by the service.gov head office. Um, and I think they're, they're, um, as they're using it very frequently, they're struggling to manage it with their day job. So I, I think that they're bringing in an OD expert who's skilled in change management to champion its use and support the team. Um, and then I think the next steps, once they've had uh, got a firm structure in place, they'll then start promoting its use more heavily across the organization through roadshows, etc. So do you have some tips for other service design uh, students that are now uh, that started their studies? things that you learned during your study or things that you would have done uh, differently? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think, I think the best tip I can give is to really work with the client so that they have ownership of your ideas. I just, I just don't think it works creating something in isolation and then bringing it in at regular opportunities to show the client. Um, I think it happens far too often in the student world and the professional world, actually. Uh, people want to show off their best work. Um, but if you really want change to happen and to stick, then it really has to be the client doing it to have them thinking about it. Um, so I think if you can type up the post-it notes together um, or ask them what they think the insights are um, and to co-design the solutions and work through the development of them together, then it has a much higher impact and a real you know, change in ownership. Um, and probably also, I think it's worth being a bit cheeky um, and to say, don't be afraid to contact people you don't know, you know, ring people up, ask if you can interview them, run a project for them, work for them. People are so happy to help. And the worst case scenario, you'll just get a kind no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but 
I can imagine if you work in a governmental uh, organization as a student and you're quite young and you're doing all these workshops with people who have been in that uh, profession for maybe 30 or 40 years, you sometimes also get um, some uh, more negative reactions or was that not the case in your project? Yes, well, um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I, I probably, I did, I, I suppose, experience that particularly in the Government of Malta uh, project. It's a very, um, well, the first uh, workshop I did was with uh, 30 heads of the various different departments. And it's a very, you know, white male environment. Um, and I think they probably were like who's this young blonde girl coming in um, and telling us what to do um, but I think you know if you're if you're confident in the service design process um, then it's okay and it's all right if people are a little bit surprised at you uh, and then by the time you've you've done your research and you have your insights and you're reflecting back uh, a clear picture of the organization people start to think oh actually you know she's she's really got this she understands what's going on um, and people start to really work with you so yeah, I think believe in the process and all will be fine. Actually, a skill of a service designer is that you have to uh, trust uh, the process and uh, not be afraid uh, for other people that are maybe older or more experienced to uh, think that you're not... Uh... Yes, I think, I think so, because I think... Uh, in some ways, part of the power of service design is if you really believe in the process and you really believe that, you know, you will be able to find some sort of solution. It might not be the final solution or, you know, a magic solution that will solve everything. But, it, you know, you will go through a process that will take you that first step. Um, if you really believe in that, then actually the people that you're working with believe in that. Um, and as it, all you really need is people to believe in a common vision and a belief that things will be different and then everything else takes care of itself. So I'm also uh, curious to learn a little bit more about uh, Innovation Unit, where you're working now. Um, could you tell us a bit about uh, the, the team? How big is it? What, what does the team consist of? Which roles? Yep. Um, so we're 30 people. Um, there are a, a small handful of service designers. And then you've got a whole range of people from um, a variety of different uh, backgrounds. So people who specialize in change management, organizational development, um, anthropologists, um, and people who have a high degree of knowledge in various different parts of the public sector, like children's social care or mental health. Um, so it's incredibly exciting because you've got such a diverse team with people with all this different knowledge um, and different skill sets. Um, and yeah, it's, it's re really enjoyable to, to work together. Mm -hmm. um, and it's nice to, to be the person bringing the lens of, of service design um, and to be working with, people who aren't just service designers and to be learning from all of their expertise. And if you do a project, well, what does a team look like? Um, so it really depends on the size of the project. Um, um, and I've only started in August, so I'm still relatively new. Um, but um, 
so far in each project, I've been holding the service design hat and then working with other people from different specialties. There'll be uh, a project lead um, who will, you know, steer the project um, and then um, the other team around supporting. And it's very collaborative and everybody working in a collaborative way. It's not bringing different people in and out at different stages. You're a team and you work through the project together. And does your, uh, if you work on a project, How do you collaborate with the client? Do you make one team together or uh, do you have certain moments that you um, sit together, work together or present some stuff? How does it normally go? Uh, so again, it really depends on the client. Um, there'll be a conversation at the beginning to see uh, how they would best like to be worked with. And the idea scenario is that you work with them as closely as possible. Um, sometimes um, it's a much shorter project and it's much easier to go away, um, do work and then meet at regular moments. But yeah, it's a, it's a negotiation at the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, what kind of questions do you get from clients? Is it actual problems they come with or challenges they face? What do they ask you for? It's a real mix, quite often research uh, to get a better understanding of people's lived experience. Um, we do a lot of helping um, clients to scale successful innovations Um And, and yes, de designing new services to overcome various challenges. So yeah, it's a, it's a real mix of, a mix of everything. What would be your uh, dream project to work on? Oh, good question. Um, I would, I would really love to redesign the prison system. Um, I have a, a real deep belief of rehabilitation over mm -hmm. punishment. Um, and I don't think the model we have in England is as good as it could be compared to other countries like Den Norway or um, Holland. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, that would be a really interesting project. I uh, remember a conversation we had with some colleagues here as well, that that would be a super interesting case to work on, especially because mm. uh, you will also work with... Uh, People that you really are not familiar with what kind of situations they have uh, been through, because we notice in some of our projects, for example, for education, we can still remember some of our own experiences. Or uh, if we work for governments, we also, um, for some cities, we remember, ah, we also have to ask for our passport. So we kind of can uh, get inside of the heads of the users there. But I think a prison, it's such a, totally different world that it would be a very interesting case to uh, to work for as well. Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting that it's one of the very few services that isn't really designed for the user. You know, nobody is thinking about the user experience there. Uh, we're actually thinking about how to make the experience as horrid as possible, which is a bit bizarre when you stop and think about it. Yeah, that's true. Because, of course, uh, it's what you say, like, uh, It's important that those people just uh, get prepared again to uh, become part of the the real world again after they come uh, outside this uh, this place where they they're not really confronted with with stuff that is going out at, outside and that they've been sometimes for 20 years in like an artificial world that is totally different from uh, from the real world. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nice. We should uh, maybe look for some uh, some clients there as well. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the projects you said that you're working on uh, at the moment at um, uh, your current work? So um, currently, um, 
this this um, service for for Wigan uh, I mentioned for Children's mm-hmm. Social Services in Wigan, um, which is uh, helping them to scale an existing innovation called No Wrong Door, uh, which is an asset based care model um, that creates a wraparound service for young people. So they have uh, a new role created called a key worker, who is the young person's advocate and always has them in mind um, and is really there for them no matter what. And then you have uh, a team uh, with different specialities sitting around them uh, that are now under one management umbrella, whereas before they would have been, uh, you know, linked to their various different departments. Um, And then questions like whose responsibility is this, whose budget is this, uh, all of those sorts of conversations are removed. Um, So, yeah, they're a model I really believe in. um, And it's been a joy to help put it into place. Um, And then uh, also been doing some ethnographic research for Save the Children um, to help them uh, understand the lived experience of families living in poverty uh, to see if there's uh, any additional opportunities for them to provide support um, and also just started a new project for the Department of Work and Pensions um, or uh, the Learning and Work Institute who's our direct client um, to help them design a new service for people receiving uh, employment support allowance who are people with uh, physical or mental health conditions um, and it's a, it's a very uh, exciting opportunity because it's not just looking at how you can prepare people for work, but also um, considering people's health and looking at how you can improve their well-being. Um, so, yes. Yeah, that all sounds indeed very, very interesting. Is a, a innovation unit looking for more service designers, perhaps among our listeners? Yes, um, we're not hiring at this exact point, but I think we've always got uh, our, our eyes out for, for new talent. Um, and at some point, I'm not sure when, uh, we will be hiring again. So, yes, if you're if you if you're really interested, do always feel free to get in touch. Um, okay, that's great. Well, I'd like to thank you uh, very much for uh, for your time. It was really interesting hearing about your, uh, your project and your thoughts on uh, service design in general. Um, do you have anything you'd like to uh, or, uh, to share with our listeners and where can people find you if they want to get in touch or learn more about the project? Yep. Um, if people want to find out more, then feel free to visit my website, which is www.ellawalding.com. Walding spelled W-A-L-D-I-N-G. Um, and there are yeah more details there. We'll make sure we add the link uh, to uh, to servicedesignpodcast.com as well, uh, so people can find uh, the information that we talked about uh, today. All right. Well, congratulations again on uh, winning the award and uh, we wish you the best of luck in your future career. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bye. 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 The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org and for night moves visit nightmoves.be if you enjoyed this episode please consider subscribing to this podcast the intro and outro music is from if the stars grow dim tonight by hydrogen c featuring i will i swear until next time